0: You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned into our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify our work and the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep voice person with a funky backbeat. Indeed. This is not a council hearing. This is hearing the council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the council. You may also know me as at Council of D.C., the council's handle on Twitter. And uh, today we are joined by a brand new council member, uh, Ward 3's Matthew Fruman. Thank you so much for making time in your busy couple first weeks, council member.
1: Really delighted to
0: be here, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, and I think I haven't pulled the records, but I think this is the earliest I've ever interviewed a council member. (laughs)
1: Well, I'm really trying to get out of the box fast, so thank you.
0: Hey, I'm happy to help. Uh, So, uh, listeners might not realize this, but uh, back on Christmas Eve, I tested positive for COVID. And thankfully, sorry. (laughs) No, my symptoms were mild and I recovered quickly. Uh, But when it happened, I was thinking, oh, geez, I hope I don't miss the swearing in of the mayor and the council members. (laughs) And I know that coincidentally, um, because we were always masked around each other, you also had COVID right about the same time I did. And if I was thinking, oh, God, I hope (laughs) I don't miss this swearing in, you dodged a bullet because you were safely out of quarantine. And that was like a life-changing moment so how, how did that uh realizing you had COVID? realizing the timeliness of the swearing in uh how, how did that uh how that make you feel you know i gotta say
1: that i thought it was a miracle that i went 33 months of COVID and didn't get it because i was out in the world a lot oh my god uh, you yeah. know during the campaign and i just thought you know i At every turn, I thought it would be awful if I got it, but you know maybe it was adrenaline, maybe it was just dumb luck. I didn't get it and, and I was incredibly healthy for 30, 33 months and then, boom, I got it now, my symptoms were not that bad i was I was genuinely sick for about a day, cold, fever, uh, not terrible, but but a, you know, in bed. And then I was, you know, had the sniffles, but essentially fine. And I was, uh, you know, crossing my fingers that I would, it wouldn't be an issue for the swearing in because you may recall, Nyasha would say over and over again, like everybody needs to be sworn in by this amount of time. So you got to be there. You got to be there on time. And I don't want to know what we would do if we had a problem with that. So I had my fingers pretty tightly crossed that I would be okay, and I was. And so it was great.
0: Yeah, because, you know, two years ago, uh, the swearing-in of the new members, we did an abbreviated one on the steps of the uh, Wilson building. So they missed out on the convention center. They missed out uh, on the crowd, yeah. but they did at least get a swearing-in. But, you, you know, you would have been... Uh, if you hadn't been able to come around in time, the first one ever to have to miss their own swearing in or get sworn in via zoom or, you know, but, but thankfully that, that didn't come to pass. That's
1: one we avoided.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and what, what was your, I mean, you've had a, I guess a week to look back on it now, how, how that, the pomp and circumstance of that day, uh, you know, did it, did it really sink in on election day? Did it really sink in on, uh, Primary day, did it really sink in on Swearing In Day?
1: It started sinking in more on Swearing In Day. Um, it's it and it has sunk in more, getting settled in the role and being out there talking with different people and feeling like, wow, this is my job. Um, after the primary, everybody said. Uh, you know, of course, you're going to be the next council member. But I actually didn't allow myself to believe that. I felt like I needed to campaign uh, hard and earn the votes of Ward 3 voters in the general election. So I left it all on the field in the general election, too. And And I didn't have it in my mind, oh, I'm doing this, but it doesn't matter. I had it in my mind, this is what you do. And so I wasn't starting to think of myself as a council member then. Then after the general election and starting to do the transition, one of the big things I had to do was extricate myself from everything else I do. So I was busy with that. And it really was by the time I got to the swearing in and started doing the job that I that it really sunk in, like, this is the next chapter of my life, and what an opportunity it is. And I will say, I have been saying to others, the idea that I will finish my professional career doing this job for however long I do it, this is the last job I'm going to do, I expect. And What a blessing and an opportunity to be able to do this. I I pinch myself at my good fortune and really feel a sense of responsibility to do as good of a job as I can.
0: I mean, there's got to be a bit of um, when folks come up to you and say council member or, you know, or you walk behind the dais where you're. (laughs) Talking to baby or you know, it it, you know it always on a new job. There's a bit of feeling like it's a bit of make believe, like you're playing grown up because it's it's all brand new, and you're you're you know, there's always a little bit of um, (laughs) bluff in a new job, and until you fit in and know where the bathrooms and the copiers are, like. But really, with being a council member in particular, there's got to be like, is this real? Are they talking to (laughs) me? I mean, it's so funny that
1: you say that. Just last night, I said to my wife that you know I walk around the building and people are coming in or coming out and people see me, and they and they say and I guess it's part of the protocol of how you know people behave that they they say hey council member or they, and they call me council member and and all good wishes. Right? Like all people saying, congratulations, council member. Welcome, council member. I was saying she might need to start calling you council member.
0: My wife. Good, good, good luck with that.
1: Yeah, that's that's unlikely.
0: Yes. And I and I don't, I should know this, and I don't. Do you in your non-council member life go by Matt or Matthew? Uh
1: you know, it's it'll seem bizarre, but it actually has been a thing about which I've gone back and forth. Um, I, it, after the OJ trial, so my name, uh, I, I went by Matt Freeman, and uh, people would turn it into Mike and Freeman and Froman and all different kinds of things. And then after the OJ trial, like turning on a dime, it always went to Mark Furman. Oh, geez. Matt Fruman to Mark Furman. Hotel operators, airline people, like it was, it, it it was everywhere. It was amazing the impact that 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 had on people's consciousness. So I thought I can't have this. So I made an effort to go by Matthew, and when I started to go try to go by Matthew, it occurred to me that my mother always called me Matthew, and so. But then during the camp, but people have always called me Matt, and I guess I. Gave up on the day to day being called Matthew and going and go by Matt at this point. And my fingers are crossed that it won't turn into Mark, that there's enough time that it won't turn into Mark Firm.
0: Right. Or as yeah. one of the War Three businesses uh, helpfully pointed out during the campaign, it could turn into Abe Froben, the sausage <laughs> state of Chicago from uh, Ferris Bueller's day off. Right. right. I, I thought that was a, a clever reference. Obscure. The, the, the cracked eggery that
1: you're talking yeah, about. Yeah,
0: cracked eggery exactly. <laughs> that, that, and they even did business. posters. They even did posters, which was impressive. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, so let's... Um, oh, and one more name question I have that's, again, uh, an obscure question from my my deep dive on your bio. One of your daughter's names is Jofi. And I don't think I've heard that before. Well, well it's... Actually, that's my son. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> but
1: so Jofi jophie was born joseph and his uh his older sister called him jophus uh and jophus turned into jophie and then we all stuck with jophie and he still goes by jophie although i don't know in his professional life he might start going start going by joe joseph but that's That's a sibling mangling of a name turning into an affectionate name.
0: Gotcha. That that is a cool name. Um, (laughs) So let's go a little bit back into your bio. This For listeners of the show, you know, the first interview, we tend to do deep dive and kind of obscurities of of biography and then move on to more policy related stuff in later shows. Uh, But so I was interested to see that you did spend a good chunk of time at the State Department And in my just personal experience, a lot of folks are either local government oriented and have no clue what's going on in the world, or they know who the city council, they can name the members of the city council of Tashkent, but they couldn't for a million dollars tell you who their ANC commissioner was. So to see someone transition from the international world to the local world, I think is kind of interesting and distinctive. So talk to me about your time at the State Department first.
1: So, well, my time in the State Department grew out of my activism on international and national political things. Uh, So I I had been, as a a young lawyer, I got involved in pro bono projects working on elections around the world. And so I was an election observer in Nicaragua and Mongolia, in the Kurdish-controlled regions of northern Iraq over time in Morocco and Egypt and in uh, all around the world, sometimes as a pro bono lawyer working um, with an organization, the International Human Rights Law Group or the National Democratic Institute, and for a period um, working at the National Democratic Institute for International Affairs. And I had also been very, very involved in national political things. There was a Thing called the saxophone club that was created when bill clinton first ran you might remember he went on the arsenio hall show and played his saxophone right um right. Uh, or you may be too young to remember that, but, but he did and
0: i there was absolutely a,
1: do uh, there, there was a group of young professionals they created a fundraising um vehicle for uh, for Clinton and then for the DNC and I was very active in that and um and then I was always active in national political things and and that was the case for a number of years and then when uh in in 1998 I had the opportunity because of all of that work that I'd done both substantive work in the human rights and elections area and then political work, I had the opportunity to be appointed um, to a position in the State Department, which was really an eye-opening experience to me. Um, it was very exciting to work on all of the issues that, we, that I worked on. But I, I've often joked that if you had asked me to describe how decisions were made in the State Department before I went there, I wouldn't have hit the bullseye on the target. I might not have hit the target. I might not have hit the wall that the target was on. (laughs) And that's sobering because mastering processes and mastering the processes here is gonna be a challenge, but it's not my first rodeo for that. So, So I had been doing all of that national and international work and at some point, People came to me and said, There's an opening on the ANC, and uh, why don't you go for it? And at the same time, people came to me and said, there, There's a project to renovate what was then called Wilson High School, now Jackson Reed High School. Why don't you get involved in that? And just because of where I was in my life, I was able to do both of those things. And I turned on a dime. I got involved in local issues that I had not been involved in before. So you, you, my world, it's not, I'm not a renaissance person who does both of the things at the same time. I did the national and international stuff for one chapter and then got involved in local things and never looked back because I I had the feeling doing the local work that I could really make an impact. Um, really helped people in a tangible way and fell in love with the District of Columbia in a different way than I had been in love with it before in all parts of the District of Columbia. I represent Ward 3, but I've been engaged everywhere in the District of Columbia and really feel like it's a special place that I can make a tangible difference and It's almost a month, you know, one month I was doing national and international stuff. And about 15 years ago, 16 years ago, uh, I pivoted entirely and became completely low.
0: Now, before we leave the international chapter, what were your favorite destinations? What were the coolest places you went or places you want to return to or would recommend others uh, visit?
1: Yeah. some of my favorite places to go, you can't go to right now. Um, and Yemen, I spend a decent amount of time in Yemen and Yemen is a beautiful, fascinating, historic place. I, I'm not sure that it's a tourism destination right at the moment. Um, I spent a decent amount of time in Morocco um, and that's that's a fascinating, wonderful place. I, I spent a fair amount of time in um, in Palestine uh, and in Israel, in Jerusalem, and going back and forth into the in Palestinian areas. Uh, I mean, if you're a traveler, if you're interested in things, being in that place and feeling all of that history, it's oh, it's really something. Um, I did a I did a project in Slovakia ones that I thought was super interesting and I thought it was uh, 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 an interesting place to visit? Well, there's a million places to visit. I I like that the election work that I did was another place where And I just felt incredibly fortunate because you go into a country and you're talking to people about what's on their mind and you're talking to all different kinds of people about what's going on in the country. That's the kind of tourism that really excites me. I love to go to the beach, but when you have the opportunity to do something and learn so much about what's going on around you, that's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Now, a quick question that I noticed was that Uh, You, if I have this right, graduated from GW Law in 1988. Now, Mary Che started teaching at GW Law earlier than I thought in 1979. So you could have been in her classes. My question is, were you? I, I was not in her classes. I think, and I talked to
1: Mary about this just the other day, um, I think she took a sabbatical at some point, but she was back when I was there. She was there, um, and she was, you know, the great constitutional law teacher at the time. Uh, I had a, I had an excellent constitutional law teacher, just didn't happen to be her. But I knew her by reputation when I was at GW. I did. I wasn't in her class.
0: She. It just amazed me because I, I was born in '72. So the thought that she's been teaching at GW Law since 79 with sabbaticals yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is just remarkable. She's so, she's uh, so vibrant that I never. Yeah, it's really.
1: So 79, what does that mean? So 40
0: plus years she's been teaching at GW. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. isn't that, that's nuts. That's amazing. Uh, now another a distinguishing characteristic in your, your bio is I believe you are the first former congressional candidate that uh-huh. I, uh, interviewed and that it's front and center on your Wikipedia page, you know, so it's not mm-hmm. very history, but it was the first I had seen of it. Right. Um, and what I appreciated was if the story is true, that your father tried to convince you to run for Congress, you said, I've got stuff going on. Why don't you do it? So he did. And then in the next cycle you did, this is in uh, Michigan. is, is that Roughly yeah,
1: accurate. Yeah, I mean that's 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 accurate. A, a little bit of tweaks. I mean, she, my my father called me up in um, 1995, and I was a young lawyer, and active, you know, on national political things. And he said that the Republican Party, the the place where I grew up was viewed as a safely Republican district forever. And he said, but the Republican Party, this is after the Gingrich Revolution, the Republican Party has changed and the district has changed and the Democrat can win here and you should come back here and run. And I'm sitting at my desk. We had two small children and a third on the way. And I thought, like, what? (laughs) So, (laughs) So like to get off of the phone, I said, well, dad, you know, if you think it's such a great idea, I don't think it works for me, but why don't don't you do it? And that was really just to get off the phone. Uh, He was a 75-year-old retired psychiatrist at the time. And so I did did not imagine that that was going to actually happen. Um, And then, but the thing about the call was it was my father's way of saying to me, think of yourself as a person who could be a congressman, which as a father-son thing was a really lovely thing for him to have done. Um, So a couple months later, he calls me up and he says, uh, the party's endorsed me, I'm going to be the candidate. And it's another time where I sort of fell off my chair because I thought, It worried me the idea of my father out there (laughs) running for Congress. Um, What my father, my father was a brilliant, brilliant man, and his observation about the district was a thing that you've seen in the transformation of American politics since 2000, where the suburbs have flipped and are now Democratic, whereas they had been Republican. He saw it immediately. So I went back to run his campaign and to make sure that you know it went as well as possible and when i did it a lot of people there said you know you it's great he's doing it but you should do it i didn't go back the next cycle because i had the got the opportunity at the state department but by 2000 i thought if i'm ever going to do it i need to do it and so i i went back and did it and i did the best of any democrat since 1960 and my performance in 2000 woke up the local party uh the and the state party i didn't I, I decided this wasn't my home here in washington dc so i didn't try it again but bigger players then got into it and eventually gary peters who's now the senator um ran and won and turned the district dem. and
0: i saw that you're coincidentally you're uh result in the general election in 2000 for Congress and your result in the primary, uh, for ward three was almost identical. It was 41 <laughs> something and 42 <laughs> point something. So, uh, well,
1: I didn't notice that, but the 42, the 42 something was much better than the 41 in 2000.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I saw also, there was a great quote from your dad that, um, uh the quote was uh i've never persuaded anybody of anything in an argument and i had to read it twice because i would say well if you that's not something to brag on that you've never persuaded anyone of anything but then i realized the in the argument piece that right if you're at you know uh, coming to blows you're not going to intellectually persuade someone to change their opinion so i like that flavor that you need to um stay friendly with your opponents if you have any chance of actually changing their their mindset uh, it,
1: it really was it was a big thing for me when he said that to me we were sitting we were sitting outside on a fall afternoon just chatting and he made that observation he's 75 years old at the time like you know well into his 70s and and i think that that's probably your experience too once you get to where that adrenaline is running and people are, you know, angry, that the ability to move somebody becomes, you don't have the ability. Nobody has the ability to move somebody. So it's, it's always, there's a reason why Uh, Aretha sings about it because respect is so important. It's showing respect for for people when they agree with you or not and trying to figure out where there's common ground so that you can move people in the direction that you think makes sense and being open to being moved. Um, It's the key to, to actually getting things done. It's a great lesson from that there.
0: Yeah, I mean, because when you're arguing and once tempers get heated, then you're cutting off your nose to spite your face and you're just going for a victory for the sake of victory and your, your brain is not the, the decision maker at that point. So logic and persuasion play no role. That's exactly right. And it's why, I mean, Congress is the way Congress is now, I well, think, because there's so little reasoned thought and only vitriol and uh, spite. At play,
1: I mean, it happens everywhere. You see people who, who take a position and then they they demonize the other side, and then they have to win, and and then it's about winning as opposed to getting to a sensible and successful result. And I I think it's actually fortunate that I am having this opportunity at this stage of life because I am. The least likely at this point to fall into traps like that than at any other point in my life, um, so I think it uh, that i I have the greatest prospect to be effective because of because i I won't fall into that kind on of us against them trap
0: yeah well we're, words to live by. Uh, I want to come back. There was one other uh, chapter of your elective politics experience we didn't touch on, and that was uh, back in 2013, running for uh, at-large council um, and uh, and coming in fourth. And the vast majority of our council members, well, I don't know if it's the vast majority, but a great number of our council members run and lose and have to come back and run again, and um, and uh, I just, I guess my question is, how do you do that? Because I think if I had so much invested in something and my whole family was behind me and I'm going to 25 breakfasts and meet and greens and it just takes all your energy, you get to election day. And then it, I know you have an active professional and family life and personal. There's other things in life, but then to dip and then to have to rev it up again and do it all over again and hope it comes out differently. Talk to me, I and mean, they've all done it. I mean, the chairman, You know, any number of them, Robert White, You know, I'm forgetting others who have run and uh, lost and had to come back. But how, how do you do that from an energy and an emotion standpoint?
1: So, so well, it's a great question. Uh, so I had, I, I joked at the end of this campaign that it was either three's the charm or three strikes and you're out because I had run for Congress. I had run at large and now I'm running this time. And so it was an open question whether it was three's the charm or three strikes and you're out. Uh, I love it. I I loved campaigning all three times. And I'm not going to kid you, the letdown after you don't win is significant. Like You know, you go from being fully engaged and touching lots of people and all kinds of energy to not and thinking that you're going to have the prospect of having making a big impact and then feeling like, well, it's not going to, I may, but not in the way that I was thinking about it. So the fall off is real, but all of the people who you're thinking about who ran a second time, the morning after they lost, and this includes me, they felt like I, I want to get back up on that horse. I yeah. want to try it again because they're the kind of people who thrive from that sort of interaction. You know, I I had a a thing on the campaign this time where I I would I went everywhere and including in the general. And one time, one afternoon, I was handing a flyer to a guy, and he said dude, this is the third time I've seen you today And so if you're, if you're that kind of person where you really you know you that the energy comes up um then it's a lot of fun to do. The fear of the fall off is real so that when when I learned and I had thought, since 2013 if the right opportunity arose that i would want to run again it would have to fit with where i was in my life and where th- everything was and um and it just didn't happen so i, I had actually thought well i'm not going to have the opportunity to do this and that's okay and then mary dropped out <laughs> and and uh and i got the te- a text from mary saying that she was dropping out and could I help her unwind things and I went upstairs and I talked to my wife you know during COVID we were working out of the house and you could see her gulp like for me there was no question for her she thought okay you know this could be great but what if he runs and loses and what will the disappointment be like she experienced that on my behalf. I didn't really experience that and happily came out, it turned out to be three charm. But I mean, I would think that most of the people who run and don't make it the first time are come out of it thinking, if I get another chance, I'm going to want to do this again, even though they lost.
0: Yeah, the, the funny quote that this was from a, a city paper article from 2013. It said, uh, Fruman bristles at the suggestion that he ran at large in 2013 to set up a challenge to Mary Che in 2014. And I'm like, the joke's on them because you were setting yourself for, for not the next year, for a decade later. I, I, didn't, well, I know you weren't doing it on purpose, but it just, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> no, and, and the, um, yeah, I didn't know what I was setting myself up for, but, um, and it certainly didn't, it, it certainly wasn't a challenge to, uh, to Mary Che, which was never a thing that I ever really, that I ever period contemplated. Um, but it was, it was an interesting narrative and it was brilliant um, because that's, pe- people said that, and not, you know, I, I think I know where that narrative came from, but it was genius because it diminished my candidacy, right? So it tied me to Ward Three. Like, I don't care about the city. I only care about Ward Three. This isn't a serious thing. And Lee Atwater had the idea of like, you know, part of it was I'd been so active in my community and would have been thought of as a natural successor to Mary Jay even then. And to use that against me uh, was was genius it wasn't determinative like i don't want to overplay it but that taking a person's strength and turning it into a weakness is is part of politics
0: right and also to your point about if you run and lose the next day you start thinking you know can i do this again is there another opportunity that gets built into the narrative that when people run unlikely campaigns (laughs) people are like oh they're just getting try and increase their name id you know kind of Go through the motions, learn the system, so that when the campaign they really want to win comes, they'll be all set. But I can't imagine, given the tortures of the campaign, that people would ever run for a campaign they were almost certain they were going to lose.
1: Yeah, I don't think that. I don't think that's how it happens. I think people think see a path, right, and see a way in which they could win a race, and they get in it and they pursue it, and then they fall in love with it. And even though that path that time didn't work, that you know the path they thought they saw, it happens in football. A running back sees an opening and goes for it, and then the opening closes somehow. And that doesn't mean they don't want to run again. They they want to get that football again and run again. And so I don't think it's oh I'm going to do this and then four years six years two years I'm going to run again. It's that they do it, and then they think wow, if I ever had the chance to do that again and try to, I've learned so much and I, I that I'm going to want to do it if an opportunity came up.
0: Um, I will ask you, I'm going to ask you one more uh, question. I'm going to ask you one policy question um, and then we go, we have a sort of humorous uh, closeout round. <laughs> okay. <uh-oh.
1: laughs> uh,
0: but the policy question is, um, some would argue um, that your experience uh, or the experience of the Ward 3 primary had a bit of a ranked choice voting analog flavor to it. Um, where do you come down on ranked choice voting if it were to come back before the council?
1: Yeah, I like the idea of ranked choice voting. Um, I think that, I think the way that, Elections, and I worked on elections all around the world and all different, seeing different permutations of different kinds of systems. I actually think that the argument for ranked choice voting is only getting stronger. And the reason is with our fair election system and the relatively low thresholds to qualify as a candidate and to have enough money to to run as a very serious candidate. So fair elections and award election, I, I think you get like, if you had 200 donors from the district and you qualified and say they're $50 donors and that's $10,000 and then you get the, uh, the $50,000 in matching, now that's $60,000. And then you get the $40,000 as your base payments, you got $100,000, 200 contributors, and you have $100,000 to spend on a campaign, more and more people are going to think, I'm going to throw my hat in that ring and I'm going to be able to run a very, you know, full campaign. So then you have lots of candidates on the ballot. And a challenge for people in the Ward 3 election was we had nine candidates. I, I obviously think that I was the best choice to be the Ward 3 council member there were eight other great choices you know those the people who were in that race they you know each one of them had something really special that they brought a lot of talented people so i didn't envy the voters who had to choose amongst us and ranked choice voting would have given them the ability to uh, to express express their preferences and make them count in a very crowded
0: field of able people so so I I, I support it yeah I mean it, it's a little bit like if you went in a restaurant and you ordered the you know a side salad as your dinner and they were at a side salad so you just had to take whatever the next <laughs> dish up was instead of saying well, if you don't have the side salad I'll take a you know, Another vegetarian dish or so, you know, at least if you can rank things, it, it makes sense that even if you don't get your top choice, you, you know, can at least um, work your way through a progression. And...
1: And, and you can cast your vote for your top choice. I mean, often there are situations where people say, well, you know, that person might be a great candidate, but they have no chance to win. But they're the person who you really believe in and you want to show your support for them. Scaring people away from casting their the vote, their vote of choice because it's not practical. Um, to the extent ranked choice voting helps on that, I think it's important.
0: Yeah. And also the fact that I mean you're you know, you getting a 41, 42 percent in a heavily contested race is a very high number. But in a lot of contested races, we have council members, some of our best council members came on the council having gotten, at least in their primary, a very small, uh, percent of the vote. And at least with ranked choice, you know, at least in the ultimate round, you're have a, someone who has the majority of voices behind them.
1: It's interesting.
0: Um, so speaking of uh, choices, we're unfortunately, we're at a time. So we're moving mm-hmm. on to our, our, uh, humorous closeout round mm-hmm. and speaking of menu choices, um, this is something I've done at dinner parties for years and every single council member who has been around since I started uh, about 10 years ago has answered this question. Um, these are different desserts, and uh-huh. candy cookies, ice cream, and pie. Yeah. And I'd like you to rank them from your most favorite to your least favorite ranking all five of them.
1: All right, well, pie is my favorite, ice cream is my second, cookies third, cake four, and candy five. But I would like ice cream and pie together if that's a possibility. Okay. <laughs>
0: it, it is interesting. I keep, it, I keep a chart. I would have to quickly check and see if you matched with anybody. Um, but it's interesting to see how people answer because many people ask questions about, well, what about chocolate? What if, what, you know, and, but it's some, it's funny. Some people answer right away. And I, I admire that, um, that, that. I, I guess style. I envisioned
1: each one. Like I'll tell you, I, was, I pictured blueberry pie. I didn't ask about it. <laughs> and chocolate chip cookies.
0: And uh, the, the chairman uh, also, I believe, put pie first. And I think he volunteered that either rhubarb or strawberry rhubarb pie was his favorite so oh, that's, maybe, a, that's a tell oh yeah it's, it's <laughs> a total tell um but maybe you guys can build a uh, some sort of a pie coalition um, so
1: you know the chairman is i believe the chairman's originally from cleveland and i'm from detroit and rhubarb is a midwest thing so i know, that would so maybe maybe that's where it comes from i think of rhubarb as a midwestern
0: thing I, I, do you think it's around here have you had it have you ever seen it here uh, yeah i've seen I've seen it at the farmers' markets and stuff like that i don't don't see a lot of rhubarb pie on menus, but that could just be um common sense for lack of a better word <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, thank you uh we're sadly we're out of time we're a little overtime actually, but um, this has been a lot of fun and uh, I hope you come back uh, if we like I said do policy uh, but also try to keep it light and fun in the future interviews.
1: I I would I would love to do that Um, next time. I won't bring up the OJ trial.
0: Yeah, that's I think is another first, (laughs) but a really good, well thought out reason to to, to, uh, determine which version of your name to use. Um, Well, uh, anyway, I'll be grateful to have you back uh, as soon as you'd like. Uh, But uh, thank you uh, very much for being with us today. Listeners, uh, remember to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search under Hearing the Council. Thanks again for ju- joining us. Tune in next time. We're on DC Radio at 96.3 on your FM HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Thank you, Councilmember. Take care.
1: Thank you very much, Josh.
0: All right. Bye-bye.